Welcome to the Kids First Podcast, where we talk to educators, school leaders, policymakers, and charter school acolytes about their stories. We always start with why here, because it's not just about a job, occupation, or field. It's about why we do what we do. Hey, I'm your host, Chris Neely. As the superintendent of the South Carolina Public Charter School District and the father of three amazing kids, I have seen time and time again the pain that a lack of access and choice in education can cause. But I have also seen the beauty and joy that educational autonomy can create. So thanks for listening and for coming along with us here at the district as we learn more about putting kids first and why it matters. Welcome back, friends, to the Kids First Podcast. This week, we have a friend of mine, Molly Spearman, who serves as the State Superintendent of Education for the state of South Carolina. Molly grew up in Saluda County, South Carolina, and she learned how to work on a farm. That's a great way to learn how to do hard work, I know. (laughs) Molly began playing the piano as a child and the organ and eventually played the organ in her small-town church. She went on to major in music education at Lander College, which is now Lander University. And then she went into music teaching, where she taught for over 18 years. One of the great things about Molly as a teacher is that she was known for giving every child every chance on stage in all of their musical productions. She was very inclusive as a teacher. She was named Teacher of the Year at Chapin Elementary, and she also taught in Gilbert and Saluda, where she served as an assistant principal. In 1993, Molly was elected to the South Carolina House of Representatives, where she served four terms, and that's where she really played a big role in education policy in South Carolina, and it was in those early years that she had a a role in, in the Charter School Act of 1996. Molly went on after that to serve as the Deputy Superintendent of Education at the South Carolina Department of Education in 1998 where she was able to then work with her former colleagues in the General Assembly to, again, advocate for educational improvements in our state. She served as the former executive director of the South Carolina Association of School Administrators. And then in 2014, Molly was elected the 18th South Carolina State Superintendent of Education, where she has served proudly since then. Molly, welcome to the Kids First Podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. It's great to be with you, Molly. I I first met you in the early 90s. Um, I was working for Governor Carol Campbell um, in his second administration after graduating from college. And I met you and you were serving in the General Assembly and uh, got a chance when I was the caucus director to even uh, help you on some legislative work. I remember uh, doing some newsletter work for you uh, that you would send out to your constituents. But um, it's been such an honor to know you all these years, and you really are a kid's first champion at heart, and you always have been. Thank you, Chris. Well, it's been a pleasure working with you uh, over the years as well. <clears throat> and I think um, in everything that I've, I've served, I've been so blessed to have many different opportunities to serve the people of Saluda County, the people of South Carolina, and the children of the state. Uh, I've always tried to remember where I came from, and uh, to do whatever I could to make life better for kids across the state, for their families, and 
and really um, boost the quality of life here in South Carolina. Well, you've definitely played a large a large role in helping do that. I mean, and, and, and in the General Assembly, you get a chance to actually play an active role, not just in education policy, but in economic development policy. You were in the General Assembly when BMW uh, came, right. came to the state. And the impact that had actually on increasing the tax base locally for our schools up there, but in other parts of the state, uh, you had a chance to be a part of all the restructuring of state government, uh, to cut, try to streamline government, try to help taxpayers, you know, get more effective services. Um, and then you were you played a role in, and, and got a chance to vote on the Charter Act of 1996, That's which right. we wouldn't exist if, if it weren't right. for you and the General Assembly at that right. time. And none of us really knew exactly what a charter school was going to be. We just knew that it was a new opportunity, uh, a little competition. But the bottom line was uh, an opportunity for uh local folks, parents and families, business folks to be involved in the creation of schools that would have specific interest, uh, specific ways that they might engage students. So it was very exciting. Um, but I even remember one thing I did, you didn't mention, but in, and the students listening to this probably won't understand, but at the time we had to take our cars in every year for a $3 oh, inspection. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, those little <laughs> so, stickers on the, yeah. on the front window. So that was one of the streamlining government yep. uh, that I was able to, several had tried to get it passed over the years, but I don't know, it was just the right time, and I was able to get that bill through. Not that I was against automobile inspections, but if we were going to do it, it needed to be more than a $3 inspection because that really wasn't making a difference, but... I did see a lot of um, uh, more opportunities for more people to be involved. And then um, when I moved to the Department of Education uh, to work at the time, Ines Tenenbaum was the state superintendent of education, and we worked with um, Governor Beasley and Governor Hodges and then on to Governor Mark Sanford. But the big things that happened then was um, National Board Certification for Teachers. Yep. That was a huge uh, change and really put South Carolina on the map with teacher quality. Uh, that was exciting. The Education Economic Development Act, mm -hmm. which, which really came down to the classroom with 16 different clusters of interest for students to, to go on a pathway when they were in high school of yeah. what they would be interested in. So I worked with the Chamber of Commerce on getting that bill through and uh, always increasing teacher pay, those kind of things, and a bond bill. Uh, a smaller bond bill that sent about two and a half, three million dollars to every school district in the state. And could you believe some districts actually built a new school for two to three million dollars? So, wow, uh, it's changed well, those, a lot. Well, but, that sounds like charter schools because that's about all we can afford. <laughs> well, you have to be very frugal and yeah. uh, careful with your tax dollars. So, it has been a joy to to really see all of those things through fruition and really still working with some of the same issues now. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, we I saw the national report card that came out last month, and then we had the state report cards that came out, and we definitely saw where a number of our students in different subgroups definitely saw some some drop, right. and it's just it's so disheartening. And um, you know, our schools and our teachers um, have worked so hard to try to give every child the best opportunity, but COVID really was tough. It was tough, and. Uh, sent a lot of children home. Schools opened back up 
pretty quickly in South Carolina, and I'm proud of that. But there were families who were hit very hard who decided to keep their children at home, and I think really to the detriment of their academic success. Um, it's not easy. It is not easy when a child lives in poverty and has few experiences, few resources. Maybe the parents don't have a formal education, uh, don't get to take them places, and all you know, just just very very. Um, a, a huge lack of opportunities. It is difficult when we get those children when they're four, five. The quicker we can get to them, the better. But That's generally, right. say four years old, to change things. Um, you know, when you go into a classroom and you see in a kindergarten classroom where a teacher may have every one of her 21, 25 children ready for kindergarten and go into another school where not a single child scored ready for kindergarten. Right. Uh, the challenge for that teacher is tremendous, and yet we expect all teachers and all schools to have all students ready on reading level by third grade. So that's why early on uh, I went to anyone who would listen, uh, educators, Chamber of Commerce, Rotary, and the faith community to say, look, if we're going to be successful in this state and have every child ready and successful by the time they graduate from high school, we cannot do this alone. So I've really tried to work to build relationships so that everybody feels welcome coming into our schools and that when they come and say, knock on the door and say, what can I do to help, that the principal has something meaningful, not, well, we don't really have anything right now, but, oh, yes, we could use your help. Would you come be a mentor? Would you come sponsor a breakfast for our teachers? Or would you come help with backpacks with food on the yeah. weekend? Whatever. And I, I'm just so proud of how we've grown that, and it's been a lot of work with the faith-based community, Southern Baptist Convention, the Lutheran churches, Episcopal churches, uh, Methodist churches, all have come together to, to help us, and that's what it's going to take because schools can't do this all by themselves, and obviously the families have to help us and be a partner with us, but it is a tremendous goal to say every child in South Carolina will be ready for success when they graduate high school. Um, those are words are easy to say, but yeah. they're a lot it's harder hard to implement. Very rewarding work, and we can't give up on it. And we have to make sure that our teachers are teaching quality lessons that they have the resources that they need to build those lessons, and that we give the children the support for them. So I'm thankful for what the charter schools are doing across the state uh, and for all of our traditional classrooms and teachers uh, who are working so hard to make it a reality. You know, charter schools were, the, the concept of a charter school uh, first came about about 30 years ago up in Minnesota. Um, originally, you know, they were really created as like a small little incubator inside of a public school. And the idea was, well, what if we just take a lot of weight off the teacher and let the teacher just perform their magic? You know, you were, you were a music teacher for 18 years. How empowering is that as a teacher to have the opportunity to really design your, your teaching instructional program and really meet the kids where they are? Well, it's very powerful. Um, and I'll say there are many teachers who can do that. Uh, they, some of them are just born <laughs> as teachers. Some of them have had exceptional training uh, as teachers to know how to meet the child where they are, uh, to help them grow 
and to assess them as they're growing. I think some teachers need help, and I think that our teaching institutions are improving, uh, but we need to make sure that at, it, when, it's, when a candidate goes into one of our teacher programs, teacher colleges, that they get a wagon full of resources and tools to, so that when they get out in the classroom, whether it's in a fluent school where mom and daddy have master's right. degrees or PhDs, yeah. or if they teach in Saluda, where I live, where not so many, there are there are mothers who didn't graduate from high school, That's right. that they know how to deal with all children. So I've talked with our deans over the years that it's very important to give a varied experience to our teacher candidates, that they don't just go to Clemson or Carolina and do their student teaching right there in the where they can see the college, right? But that they have experiences out in our rural areas, out in Title One schools, schools of poverty, so that when they do get in the classroom, we can give them that freedom. That's right. Because we know they're trained to do that. So yes, it is empowering. It's the way it should be, but unfortunately, I think the State Department of Education or our school administrators have to get involved sometimes just because they have to assist the teachers and, and give them tools that they probably should have gotten when they were in college. Yeah. How important is it, the relationship between the teacher and the parent? Because, you know, I always like to say that the, you and I both are parents, that we're our child's first teacher. But it takes a partnership with their classroom teacher to really make it work. And and there's an expectation for the teacher. They're going to do their job. But as parents, we also have a, a big role in this as well. How important is that relationship? Oh, extremely important both ways. Uh, I think any way that we can build a respect and trust between the parent and the classroom is so important. And I think on the teacher's part and school's part, and there are many schools that do this, I think it's so important if the teacher can and really should try to make a home visit uh, to understand where the child's coming from. I've heard of schools actually putting all their teachers and staff on, on a bus yeah. and riding around through the community. If, you, if you're not familiar with the community or particularly out in an area of poverty, just ride around and see. That can be eye-opening can be eye-opening and heart-opening, yeah. and it really does take the heart to understand. And right. you have to know your kids really well to be able to teach them. And, and likewise, the students have to know that the teachers care. And the more we know about our children and about their families and what the needs are, uh, that connection of engagement happens. And that's true whether there's a special need that the child might have or if there's a family situation where the teacher really needs to understand why is that child coming to school so sleepy every morning yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But, um, or, and, and just to get to know the students, what their interests are, that's, that's the thing that I think we've gotten away for so long. And I've tried to preach this a little bit, but I think for too long we really got away and said the only way f to be successful is for our students to go to a four-year college and get a bachelor's degree. And that worked for many years but with the economy changing, with the career fields, pathways changing, and with some really extraordinary career opportunities happening, whether it's in manufacturing or truck driving. My yeah, goodness, you can come out of school and have a CDL and be start a welder. $60,000. Yeah. And we really made it seem that the only way to be successful and for parents to be proud was my child's going to college. So 
We have had to back off of that a lot and really teach our students, our teachers, school folks, parents, grandparents about career pathways now. That's right. So uh, all of that comes together with the family respecting the school and the school knowing the family and the child and what the child's interests are so that we really can help them be successful and get on their pathway to success. That's exactly right. Um, And you know, too, um, you know, I know there are a lot of people that think that, you know, charter schools are just trying to, I'm going to say it, just kind of put our traditional schools out of business. And that's not, that's not what we're about. That's not what I'm about. Um, I'm a product of our public schools here in South Carolina, growing up in Lexington School District 2, right across the river. And uh, I'm proud of my public school experience and the opportunities that it gave me. And really, we just want, we want all of us to be our best for the kids. That's right. And you have done, the Charter District, under your leadership, you have done a lot to build a better relationship, I think, with the traditional school folks. I call it the traditional yeah, folks in the I charter movement. Yeah. But I witnessed that, and in the beginning, it was probably too much of a them against us and thinking we were traditional folks were getting bashed. Well, y'all are doing such a horrible job. That's why we've got to come into an existence, and that was not a good climate. So I, it's it's very different now, and that's a good change where I think – I'm proud to say that our charter schools are a part of the public school movement. They are a choice for families. That's right. School choice for families. We're not competing. No. Although, you know, there's a little rivalry well, there to yeah. do a good job. Well, That's but healthy. You, but even even in our traditional school districts, right. there's a lot of rivalry That's right. Going Nothing on. wrong with that. That's little right. healthy competition to do a good job, which makes us all better. But uh, having that spirit of we're here to serve the children of South Carolina and make sure that every child gets in the best situation, the best school climate for them to be successful. And as long as we have that attitude, I, I think we will be more successful and support each other. Uh, I like to see um, administrators talking to each other and stealing good ideas from each other. And certainly there's plenty of those good ideas around what works, what didn't work, and we can all learn from each other. And that's the climate that we need to have. But I know I've heard you say this. There's there's no quick, easy solution to closing the achievement cap and, and, and helping raise the standard we're dealing with a lot of very tough societal issues. I was reading just this morning, in fact, about South Carolina has one of the, the largest percentages of single-parent households. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, and that has a huge impact on these kids. And, and those single-parent households have some of the largest poverty rates wow. in our state. Uh, and this is a national problem. Since I've been alive, the rate has doubled uh, single parent households. So our teachers and our schools are dealing with very tough situations and, and they're called on and they're going to welcome every single one of these children into their building. But the challenges are great. It's it's so true. And we really require, and I think our school folks step up to the plate, but every year it seems like there's more and more that schools have to take the responsibility of, uh, Families have changed. The family structures change. Um, I'll just say not as many people are involved in their local church where there was a, yeah. su- a community of support. People move around a lot. Uh, they're lonely. And uh, children 
need a lot of support. They do. Uh, so the school, our teachers, and our administrators step up and fill that void. I see it over and over. I guess it, it concerns me that the respect for our teachers and our administrators seems to be waning. And and I'm not sure why that's true, um, but it's a tough job for them. And we need to give our teachers a pat on the back, thank them, thank them. And same with any of our administrators from the superintendent all the way down to the school board members because it takes all of them working together, giving of themselves, sacrificing to to really do give all the support that our children need today. So uh, there was a lot of tension during COVID. I'm anxious for that to die down and for all of us to get back to where we give schools a lot of respect and goodness gracious these people are with our children every day giving yeah. of their time we don't pay them what they're worth our kids are with their with their teachers longer than they, they are, are. and so we need to we need to really get on board appreciating them and honestly some of this tension is causing more folks not to want to go into the teaching field and and that is a real crisis that we have facing us of how even if things were all hunky-dory, <laughs> yeah. to really recruiting enough young people to go into the teaching field as our population grows, opp- uh, opportunities uh, in schools, uh, just where are we going to find an, all the classroom teachers? So, folks, think about it when, you're, when you have an opportunity to thank a teacher, encourage them to participate. And I hope, and I still do try to encourage young people to consider going into education and becoming a teacher foot. My little four year, three and a half year old granddaughter, like one day last week, she was um, playing in her room and we went in and she had all her little dollies and loveys yep. circled up oh. and she was having school with them. Hoppy the bunny was there and future couple, teacher there. I hope so. Yeah. But in my heart, I thought, hmm, am I going to encourage Marilyn to be a teacher? I can still say yes, but it's getting harder and harder. To be honest, it's with a you. hard profession. It is a hard profession. So um, I'm just so grateful for the people who do it and giving them a great place to teach in a, in your charter schools where they're happy and in our in our traditional schools. Um, we are, we need to thank them for what they do. I think back during COVID and and you and I had a lot of conversations because uh, I mean there we were all just trying to survive. Everybody in education. Um, charter schools were no different. I mean, we were all just trying to make it, make sure the kids were taken care of. And we heard all the concerns of parents, you know, mask on, mask off, in-person, virtual. Um, you had you had a very difficult job as our state superintendent of education because you you understood and you connected with the parents and you could relate to their concerns and you understood and you connected and related to our teachers and their concerns, and you were almost in a no-win situation because you were, you're trying, you're trying to do what was best for kids. But well, I, I think we forgot some things during, uh, you know, when we started out with COVID, everybody was on the same page. In fact, you know, pushing the governor and I to close the schools when really we didn't have any cases in schools, <laughs> but yeah. the public outcry was close, 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 close. Right. And so we did, and we did what the health expert said. But as we learned and time went on, and it went on a lot longer than any of us imagined, we people started getting their own opinions and different experts on different sides right. of the fence. But for me, um, I tried to think of the other person. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't want to wear a mask either. Yeah. I hated it. I hear you. But 
that teacher in the classroom might be taking chemotherapy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, Everybody had Or there might situations. be a child who had a severe asthma. Or why did grandma keep the kids home? Well, Coach Hayes, legislator Coach Hayes, went and knocked on a grandmother's door down in Dillon County, tried to get her to send her four grandchildren back to school. She said, but if I send them and one of them comes home with COVID and I die, there's nobody to take care of them. Yeah. That's why she wow. was keeping them home. Wow. So there were so many personal reasons that I tried not to get too involved in the rhetoric yeah. and take strong feelings on either side, but just think about the other person. Treat the other person like you want to be treated. And maybe I needed to wear a mask that day for the other person, not for me. And that's a pretty good lesson in life now. Yeah. You know? And I, I'm trying to devote my life after retirement to that of helping people really just live the golden rule and helping our young people know what the golden rule is, treat others as you would like to be treated. And I think that that got me through COVID. Yeah. And I know it made some people angry, but that was the basis of how I made my decisions. Well, honestly, I've, I've known you now for 30 years, and that's the way you've always been. Thank you. Um, you've always, you know, respected and treated people the way – you know, they deserve to be treated. Um, talk a little bit about uh, your relationship with John Maxwell and the work that that you've been doing with John uh, through the department. And, you know, if, are you going to continue the work? I hope so. Uh, I met John. He spoke at SCASA, the superintendent's conference, uh, June of 21, which was a little over a year, a year and a half ago now, and had a moving message of his leadership and uh, I think so many educators and successful businessmen have been reading his work on leadership for oh, ever God, for, since yeah. 1970s, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, the yep. leadership Bible, all of that. But um, that day, John talked about some of the work he was doing around the world in transforming communities, one person at a time. And it was through the golden rule, teaching people treat yeah. others like you want to be treated respect listen to each other and so afterwards i bought a book and got in line to get a signature i said well why aren't you doing this in the united states in our schools he said well nobody will let me in i said well you're in in south carolina so let's so we we have a number of about 14 districts now who are actually using his free curriculum and it is around transformation and just sitting and listening as student-led students talk about values. Yeah. And those some folks say, well, whose values? Well, just good old general human values, like treat other people like yeah. you want to be the treated. The basics. Listening, respect, having hope, forgiving other people when they do something wrong. And so um, I'm thankful for the work that's going on. It is, it is changing the climate in schools. It's changing young people's lives just to be able to get to know their fellow students better. We're seeing in the schools that are using this, and it can be other programs too. It doesn't have to be this one, but at least just sitting down talking where cliques are being broken up, bullying is lessened, and the school climate and children feel safe at school and they feel a part of the school. So, um, yes, I am going to be serving as an ambassador uh, for John and his team. Oh, that's wonderful. And and working across the United States as, as needed to just talk about this and how I think um, we can change your world, not and maybe the world, but changing your world is just one good little deed a day, trying to um, treat people like you want to be treated. Yeah, just 
Sounds like sounds like something someone from Saluda County, a small rural <laughs> county in South Carolina, would say. You well, know, I'm community blessed. and community so important, and you know, um, I think changing our own world where we are, you know, that's whether right. it's in the school building or just in the community. Um, well, it's modeling good behavior. That's right. And Chris, you know, all of this is easy to say, but it gets a little harder. It's particularly hard to do in politics. Oh yeah. Um, and I've tried to do that with I've tried to be involved in politics with as little rhetoric as possible uh that's hard to do and it's maybe it's time for me to get out because of that but um you know after the campaigns are over people just need to settle down and really do the work let's leave the rhetoric especially when it comes to our school children yeah (laughs) let's leave the rhetoric and let's just do whatever we can to help every child be successful we had um, Ellen Weaver on last week, and um, that's really what she talked about. And I know she's uh, very appreciative of you and your service, and I, I know she's going to be looking to you for some guidance. Well, I appreciate that about Ellen. And we are meeting, and she's reached out to me several times. And, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate her humility because it is a lonely job. And I didn't know everything about this job, still don't, and she's willing to say that. I've got a lot to learn, and I need good people to help me, so I think she'll be very successful with that attitude. Yeah, good leaders do that. That's right. I always say you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, um, but you've got enough um, growth opportunity in terms of your knowledge through the experience to be the best leader you can be. I've been so blessed to have wonderful people being willing to come and work with me in all my jobs. Even back when you wrote my newsletters yeah. <laughs> when I was in the house. Yeah. That was almost 40 years ago. It's been a while. <laughs> um, but actually 30 years ago. I won't yeah. make you too old. But um, it is about surrounding yourself with really good people. And I've been very blessed with that. Well, you, you had a great team over there at the Department of Education. I've, I've stolen some of them from, a lot of from them. you. Yeah. <laughs> Charter, yeah. this district's going to do very well with all the good people you have working here. Yeah, we've, we've got some very talented people, and they, they all have a kids-first mentality. Talk to me, uh, what, is your, what is your hope uh, for charter schools going forward? Well, I've shared with you before, I, I know the movement will continue to grow. It's a good thing with great people, great families, great students. Uh, As I've always cautioned you and other leaders, uh, don't grow too fast. Make sure quality is the most important thing to you, not quantity. That's right. And I think you have done that. Uh, I know we have lots of interest in charters. We've had so many applications coming in this year. Record number this year. And, and, you know, I'm meeting with a philanthropist next week who – has been very generous already in the charter movement and wants to do more and with more schools in South Carolina. So I think it's going to grow. But I do think uh, that whole idea of quality, and I do think uh, the fact that each school has its own board means that those board members must take a very serious uh role and commitment to doing a very good job because it can get out of hand yeah and it doesn't take but one or two schools messing up as we say that's right to put a to put a a scar on the quality of the charter movement so that's my caution for people to do it well do it really well and I think you'll see the movement continue to grow and be very successful 
you know this because you uh, you you had a chance to vote on the Charter Act back in 1996, and then you'll remember it was amended in in 2006 to create the South Carolina Public Charter School District and allow charter schools to be created through a statewide authorizer, not just in the local school district. But in the purpose of the act, the seventh purpose and the goal of charter schools in South Carolina in the act is to close the achievement gap. We still have a long way to go. And we've made progress. And then our high performers, we've seen them drop, both nationally and in the states, um, um, you know, our students of color, students with disability, uh, students in poverty, uh, they've seen drops. Molly, what's the solution? I mean, how are we going to close that achievement yeah. gap? Well, it is tough, but I'll still want to, John Maxwell actually said this when I heard him speak uh, down in Myrtle Beach a year and a half ago. He said, you know, to keep on doing the same old way over and over and over and over and getting the same old results it's pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. So you got to do things a little differently. And and we have tried some things. The things that work actually expand those. The things that don't, get rid of them. The thing that I am seeing right now that is working is training our teachers in the science of reading. And I'm very excited yes. about that work. Um, people coming are coming up to me now said I hated it because it's like a year or two year it can be condensed but it's it's a lot of study for our teachers when they've already have so much on their backs but I'm having principals and teachers saying I hated it the first couple lessons yeah. it was all theory 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 but boy did it give me the most practical uh, changes practical tools for me to use with my students who were struggling readers and we are seeing results already I mean Allendale where they were our first school to go in to train. They were going to just do first grade teachers. The principal saw it and said, no, we're going to do all our elementary teachers. Their reading scores went up 10 points this year during COVID. So it is working, and I think you're going to see a tremendous expansion, and not only here in South Carolina, but across the nation. So finding those special things that we have been missing out on for whatever reason and implementing those, and I do think this whole back to phonics and that's not all that the science reading is, but those kinds of changes that the research is giving us. Now, we need to do research on math. Why math? Why are we dropping in math scores in the third to fifth grade? People are telling me it's because we don't drill enough. We got away from memorizing the multiplication tables and those things to that's problem right. solving. That's the way I learned. Problem solving. Well, it's good to be able to read a problem, but you yeah. got to be able to compute quickly. Yep. So I think you're going to see a pushback to that. So, again, just always being willing to adapt and change to what's working. Well, the reading is so important because uh, my wife, her specialty is literacy. In fact, uh, if you remember under Governor Hodges, when the, when the state funded the, the, the reading coaches, around the state yeah. my wife was one of the first ones over in Lexington one and um and and that was her background in college as well and she she always says that one kids do learn to read differently my son with down syndrome you know he doesn't hear well so reading for him is going to be different than the other my other child um so we have to make sure that reading is a big focus and I think I think math is also impacted if the how can a child do well in math if they can't comprehend something they can't read? Absolutely. So we need to listen to 
the experts who are being successful, you know, That's and right. watching that and being willing to adapt. And so I'm not sure what takes us so long, <laughs> but, um, you know, for us, it's a lot. You went back, you know, what if teachers could just do it without having to worry about getting the legislation and the standards right. and all that? We do all of that stuff. It takes forever. But maybe that's the key. Yeah. Get back to where. Here's what's working. Go forth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just empower the teacher to do their magic. Yeah. Yeah. Molly, uh, one last question. So, you know, you've, you've spent your entire life in public service. Um. You know, we stated earlier, I mean, you started in the classroom working with kids directly. You've been an administrator, you've been a legislator, and you've been our state superintendent of education. How have all those experiences shaped your why? The reward of seeing young people graduate, get out of poverty and be successful, or have a dream that I want to be a neurosurgeon and do it. One of the happiest days for me was last June, or this just a few months ago, when I was able to go and be the speaker at the Saluda High School commencement. And they asked me, would you like to shake the hand of each student going across? And I knew a lot of them, and I, I went to school with their grandparents. Yeah. Um, that has brought it all together to know that I've had a little small part in making not only Saluda County, but South Carolina, and I think the nation, because I've had a chance to do some national work, and now I'm going to get a chance to do more, just making it a little better place uh, for families to live. Molly, I've enjoyed our conversation, and I know you, you've only got a couple months left um, as state superintendent, but on behalf of the South Carolina Public Charter School District, we just want to thank you for your service and dedication to our state in so many ways, the contributions that you've made and the lasting impact that you are having and will continue to have uh, for the next generation of South Carolina students as they become the next leaders, the next Molly Spearmans, um, and of course, the next leaders of, of, of the world, really. I mean, South Carolina, you know, we're a small state with a powerful punch. And, um, and there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity for our state, but it all starts... Um, in education, and that's the great equalizer. I remember Senator John Matthews down in St. Matthew, yeah. South Carolina, oh, yeah. would always say that that um, the the road to the future goes right through the schoolhouse doors. That's right for every child, and and it that education can change their does change their pathway. So it's been an honor, and just to know you, Chris, and I appreciate what you have done uh, for the charter schools and and really for the state of South Carolina as well. Well, thank you, Molly. It's good to have you on the program, and uh, we'll be keeping track of you. I know you're going to be spending a lot of time with your grandkids, but uh, I know you're not going to be going far, and um, I want to know that your phone is always still going to be active. Same number. <laughs> you've, um, you have been a great supporter and a, a mentor for me, and I, I really appreciate your support and, again, your service to our state. Friends, that was Molly Spearman, our state superintendent of education. Molly was a great, great leader of public education in South Carolina and played a big role back in the 1990s as a legislator in terms of the creation of the South Carolina Charter Act and the creation of charter schools in, in South Carolina. Friends, that's a wrap on the program. Appreciate you listening. Look forward to being with you next week on Kids First Podcast. Thank you. <music>